Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's mentally, 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 mentally. Hello and welcome back to Mentally Yours, Metro.co.uk's mental health podcast. I'm Rachel Moss, Metro's lifestyle editor and your regular host. And today I'm co-hosting with one of our brilliant reporters, Tanielle Mustafa. Today we're going to be talking about the people left behind after suicide and really just how you even start to rebuild your life after something like that happens. Um, Tanyelle, I asked you to come and join to co-host today because this was your idea to even cover this as a story. We've also got an article on the site about it that you can read right now. Um, tell me, why, why did you feel passionately about writing about this, about speaking about this? Okay, so this came up for me because I went on a work dinner with someone. It was the first time I'd ever met her. And she shared with me that some years prior, she had lost someone to suicide. And, you know, it was, it was incredible that she felt comfortable enough to share that with me. You know, it's a very intimate and personal thing to go into. Um, but it got me thinking about, you know, whether there's a need to talk about this, you know, especially with someone that you hardly know. And we seldom give thought and much public space to people that, are affected by suicide that have lost someone that way. And I just thought it was important to look into that. You know, what, what about the people that are left behind after that experience? How do they move forward? Yeah, I think you're right. Um, we don't really hear that perspective a lot. And I wonder if part of that is, you know, cause it's such a sensitive topic and even the phrase left behind, we we're using it, but we also don't want anyone to ever feel guilty because that's a whole thing related in relation to suicide and, you know, it's it's so tricky when you're balancing all these different emotions. But one of the few times I have seen um, this written about and so powerfully is in a book um, by a journalist and a friend of mine called Porna Bell. Um, if you haven't read it, In Search of Silence by Porna. It's honestly one of the most beautiful books I've ever read. It's just so delicately written. Porna lost her husband, Rob, to suicide. And her book is all about 
how she rediscovered herself and just what she learned afterwards. And it completely changed her worldview. She writes in it about, you know, she effectively, she gave up her job. Um, she changed her perspective on so many things in life. And yeah, I just, after reading that, that was one of the things that gave me a whole new perspective on it. And I'd massively recommend it to anyone um, who might be feeling similar, similar confusing feelings um, in relation to this topic. But on today's episode, we're going to be joined by someone else who's doing amazing work in this area. Very shortly, we're going to be chatting to Mike Palmer. He's a brilliant campaigner and fundraiser who will be sharing his experience of what it's like to lose someone after suicide um, after he lost his daughter. But before that, we're going to hear from some of you. Every week on Mentally Yours, we like to just take a little pause to think and hear about what we've been doing to look after our own mental health this week. Danielle, do you have any little nuggets of wisdom that you would like to share with our listeners? What have you been doing? So I've been quite lucky and I was away. I literally got back yesterday at the time we're recording this and I actually was traveling solo, which wasn't the plan. And I wasn't very happy about it before I went. But as soon as I got there, I kind of realized I actually haven't had much time for myself to get connected with myself and to really enjoy and relish my own company. So it ended up being a very positive experience. And I would urge you to, if you feel that recently you've just been really tied up with everybody else, you know, give yourself a bit of space and get get back to you, get get connected and just give yourself a moment to, to think and be disconnected from everything else. I love that. And connecting to you can take many different forms. For some, it's journaling or meditation. For me, this week um, or last week, I was away at a festival dancing until 4am in the morning. And sometimes that is just as valid for your mental health as a night in with a bath. All about balance. And now we're going to hear from some of you about what you've been up to. This week, I'm trying to go for a morning walk every day in the sunshine. It gives me a chance to have a bit of time to myself in the morning. I don't look at my phone. Um, I enjoy the great weather and kind of other people starting their day and milling around. Um, I think it gives me some perspective and just makes me feel a bit brighter at the start of the day. We're now joined by Mike Palmer, a campaigner and fundraiser who's dedicated so much of his time to raising awareness of life after suicide, after losing his daughter Beth in 2020. Mike, thank you so much for talking with us again. We appreciate this is an incredibly difficult subject to discuss, but we do want to start with Beth and talk a bit about her. So can you tell us what happened? Well, we don't really know what happened to her. It, it is the truth. We there's, there's many reasons why people take their own lives, and sometimes you you just don't know the path they've trodden before. Even Bethy was obviously my little girl; she was only seventeen, but we we never saw this coming. You know, we think lockdown had a lot to do with it, but basically, Beth is um, Bethy was the most I don't know talented, full of it, vibrant, friendly, just loving individual you could ever meet and one minute she was there and one minute she was gone it's uh, it's so moving to hear you just talking about her so i i don't know so so honestly and just as a as a father how did it impact your own mental health with the immediate aftermath of her death can you tell us a bit about what that was like for you yeah i i can the the whole world changes color basically the, the shock and horror 
is beyond what you could ever imagine. Basically, you're you're smashed into millions of pieces. I felt as though I was literally put underground. I couldn't have, I couldn't love anything more than I, I still love Beth. And um, every day from that day to here has been it, it's pretty hard, pretty hard. It's full of ups and downs, but it's pretty hard. But uh, to be quite honest with you, I was plunged into a suicidal spiral myself. You know, something that I'd never experienced before. But um, you know, that the immensity of uh, everything that happened to lose her. Yeah, it, it's um, it's quite remarkable in many ways that I'm still here now. We know um, from the stats around suicide that obviously when you've had a loved one who's died by suicide, you're more likely to die by suicide yourself. Is that something that surprised you that you knew in advance or have you spoken to other parents and family members about this as well? No, the, the, I mean, the, the, the post-ventured side of suicide is, is, is so important because you're 80 to 300 times more likely to take your own life after you've lost someone close to suicide. And um, they say about 135 people are affected by one suicide. But I believe in Beth's case, that was far, far more than that. But, but I, I wasn't aware of these facts. No, no, I, I wasn't aware of anything. Suicide was never something that was going to affect me or my family. And how did losing Beth impact? You've talked about the impact on you. And you said that, you know, the world loses colour. What's been the impact on your wider family? Has it, you know, how has it changed things? It's changed things massively. You know, um, Bethy's got sisters that should have had their little sister with them the next 70, 70 odd years, maybe. You know, that the whole world has changed, but it's, it's not just them. Obviously, it's myself, it's uh, Beth's mom, um, a nana and granddad her cousins, her friends, and the list goes on and on, you know, whether her, her work colleagues, her fellow students, you know, it, it has a, a far-ranging effect and it affects people in so many different ways. We really wanted this podcast episode to sort of focus on the people left behind after suicide because we often talk about the immediate aftermath but not the months and the years and the lifetime of healing that comes afterwards. For you, can you tell us a bit about how you started to even think about rebuilding your life? It's very hard because basically you're starting from zero. You're starting from nothing again. You are building from there. And as a family, you all grieve in different ways. You become almost separated no matter how you love each other. You know, you grieve in different ways. You're absolutely isolated. I mean, I found some of my... Um, I would you describe it as a salvation? I don't know. But I started talking to people. One of the first people I started talking to was um, was Tim, one of the other dads, and uh, Emily's dad. And we met through um, our daughters talking to each other on social media. Tim's daughter had seen uh, an article on Beth. Beth was a bit of a larger-than-life character. And I started talking to Tim and having someone in the same situation as yourself, it, it helps immensely to carry on. But as the days went past, I mean, you know, even getting out of bed was a massive struggle, you know. But my little dog, who's lying here now, funnily enough, he was the, he was the reason why I actually got out of bed and had to move because he needed walking. But then you gradually realise as well the many things that helped me, including my doctor, support line, counselling in the end, my works chaplain as well, 
all those people started to just bring me back. And then you realize you you have to carry on. You have to carry on because you've got other people who love you and rely on you. And if you're not there, it makes their life even better, even worse. So gradually, gradually, things started to uh, change. The grief never goes. It does change. You become a little more insulated to it. But then I almost started to feel as though I needed to fight back somehow. And that's basically how Three Dads Walking was formed with Tim and uh, Sophie's dad, uh, Andy, who we met a little while later when I was doing work with Papyrus. Uh, I met his son, Gregor, on a course. And we, we all of a sudden, we were together. We were in the same boat. We were all grieving. All our daughters had different stories, but they were beautiful, loved, brilliant young women, you know, who should still be here now. But we formed that belief that really, you know, we believe if there are some change in society and indeed education, that, you know, many, many lives needn't be lost. Yeah, so you just mentioned Three Dads Walking, and that's something that we wanted to ask you about. And for those who might be listening who haven't heard of Three Dads Walking, could you tell them a little bit about what that is and how that came together and just about the work you've done to raise awareness? I'd implore anyone to go onto our website, www.3dadswalking.uk, and that'll tell you the story, not only of us, myself, Andy and Tim, but also our girls, Sophie, Emily and Beth. As I said before, all their stories are very, very different. But um, we believed, we we came together because we'd lost our girls. We were brought to, together by our, you know, our surviving kids. And funnily enough, it clicked. We suddenly got a belief. This was the first walk um, in 2021. You know, it really it was, um, we needed to do something for ourselves. But as the walk went on, we realized this was a huge problem. Suicide is the biggest killer of under 35s in the UK. You know, just to quote a few figures, and over 200 school children a year take their own lives. I had no idea about this before I lost Beth. But we realized something needed to be done. And on the first walk, as it took off and everything, you know, we started talking, but we were joined by so many other bereaved parents and people affected by suicide. But all of them seemed to come back with, we didn't think our children were equipped. We didn't think they were aware of what was going on. They didn't know how to seek help. You know, and it all came back to really, you know, we need to educate our young people. They're under so many different pressures nowadays. But if we don't, I mean, the safest place to do it as well is it's within schools. You know, safe, age-appropriate, sensitive teaching within schools. And they'll take these life skills with them. And that was the obvious things that started forming on, on the first walk. I guess a lot of people have good intentions and, you know, want to help and maybe don't know how to help when someone has suffered this. Is there something, I can imagine, there must be something very different in connecting with someone that can relate to your experience in some way, that has some understanding. You know, does, does that help you being in company, you know, have some sort of some sort of uh, idea of like the pain and that, you know, that comes with what you've experienced? There, there's no guidebook in this. There's no guidebook. What's very important is, you know, people through this kind of loss, realizing they're not alone. And the best people to talk to really, as well as the experts on Papyrus Helpline and things like that, are other people in the same position, you know, are suffering the same. Because when the, 
one of the things to do, you'll never get over this, but you need to process it to be able to carry on and have a worthwhile life. And talking is a massive tool within this. And we did, we've done so much of that on our two walks. You know, the first walk we were joined, as I said, by bereaved parents, people affected by suicide, people who had relatives that were, had attempted to take their own lives, but they'd not been able to talk about it. And we, myself, Andy and Tim, we're not experts. We just, you know, we were out there and we were talking about it and that attracted people. So I'd implore anyone in this situation, you know, to advise a friend or whoever who's lost someone close to suicide to seek help, you know, visit your doctor first, you know, and take it from there. Use, as I say, Pyrus, Hopeline UK, you know, though you'll get expert advice there, you know, but seek support groups like compassionate friends, you know, they're all there and they all do help because they're wonderful people who sadly are part of these groups. The community associated with your walk sounds amazing. And I know you've also done a lot of fundraising as well. Am I right in thinking you've also managed to get the curriculum changed? So you've been campaigning and getting on the case for MPs to make things a bit better in schools. Can you tell us a bit about that? On the first walk, we we raised a lot of money. We, all the money we've raised has gone to uh, Papyrus Prevention of young suicide a wonderful charity as it says on the box they prevent young suicide we've managed to get that hope line uk going uh, 24 7 as well they also have you know so much material that that, that they'll teach they'll go and do talks things they're, they're a wonderful uh, organization but on the first walk what really came down to us we needed to do something within the school's curriculum the rshe curriculum we society owes it to our young people to tell them about their greatest danger and it's themselves and we're not talking about it so even when we finished the walk after 300 miles 15 days we knew exactly what we had to do we knew we were going to walk again as well but we needed to push the rshe curriculum containing suicide prevention as i say in an age appropriate way sensitively done and i've seen it being done so we, we, we took it to basically Parliament. We started to go and talk to people. We spoke to Gillian Keegan, who was then um, Minister for Care and Mental Health. And we met her several times now because she's now Secretary of State for Education. And we are part of now a group that is running the RSHE review and is considering and gathering evidence to introduce suicide prevention as a compulsory subject within that curriculum. So that's where we are. We're not over the line yet, but we've made massive inroads in this, massive progress. And it all came off the back of um, a petition we pushed on our second walk that basically was debated in Parliament. And this is where it's ended up. And we got huge support within that debate in Parliament from the MPs, cross-party, cross-department, because we feel as though this is a logical step because if, we, if we're not proactive within this, you know, I, I feel as though we're letting our young people down. Because those young people, one day, you know, th- th- they'll be they'll be in our shoes. You know, those young people will become teachers, MPs, whatever you want, one day, and they'll become parents too. And if they just have more awareness and um, basically know how to reach out, it will save lives. That's incredible work that you're doing there. Thank you for 
you know, campaigning and making all of that happen. So this question probably isn't going to have a straightforward answer. I imagine it's a very multi-layered thing. But how would you say, if you could sum it up in some way, how would you say that losing a loved one to suicide has changed you as a person? I'm certainly not the same person I was before I lost Beth. You know, I was um, the firefighter. Sadly, I dealt with death quite on a regular basis. And it was never that I never cared. I always cared. But but you learn to deal with it, you know, in in that profession. But losing Beth absolutely took my legs from under me, you know, from being probably, you know, as a, maybe a, a big, strong person. I was nothing. It completely reduced me into an anxious, you know, a mentally very poorly individual. You know, it was, yeah, it absolutely took me apart. But I absolutely believe in what we're doing, you know, myself, Andy and Tim, and all the other thousands of people out there who have been bereaved. I mean, suicide has its own individual sort of or unique angle of grief. It certainly does, you know, for whatever reason. But now I believe in what I'm doing. I can wake up every morning now and I've actually got a purpose. You know, it's, it's it, well, one of those purposes today is talking to you. But, you know, but every day something is coming in. You know, I'm not a firefighter anymore. I've had to finish because of basically the, the effects of losing Beth, you know, but I, but I do have a path now. And uh, as I say, the, Sadly, in this club, there are some wonderful people out there. So I always have support as well. So I've very much changed as a person. How do you think we can better support people who've been affected by suicide? You've mentioned that you did manage to find that community. Perhaps if you're not somebody who's in that community, but you're listening to this and thinking you want to do more or you know someone who's been through this. um, Do you have any advice for that? I would advise them to advise that person, if you like, to seek help. You know, there there are wonderful organisations out there. And sometimes, as I say, there isn't any magic wand here. There's no silver bullet to, to make them feel better. That grief will always be with them, you know, and it comes in, manifests in itself in many different ways. But talking reaching out to these groups as say I've mentioned papyrus already I mentioned compassionate friends there's mine there's all kinds of groups out there you know who are out there and some of them are local some are national some of them are local but reach out reach out to your doctor as well it's important that you do talk to your doctor and there are um, different support mechanisms um, in Manchester there's the Greater Manchester Bereavement Information Service it used to be Suicide Information Service, but I got huge support off them as well, just by being able to talk to them and then being able to signpost what to do. As soon as you, if you're bereaved by suicide, sometimes the whole world changes. You don't know which way to turn, left or right. You know, but if you're someone who knows someone who's in that situation, do a little bit of research. You know, and I keep mentioning it, I mentioned it time after time, but but papyrus is Hopeline UK. You ring that and it's not just for the it's not just for a young person who's struggling, but it's for family and friends or anyone related to them who are worried about someone, but also they have a debrief service afterwards and they will signpost where that person can find help. 
yeah, it's really, really great to keep flagging them. Um, you sort of mentioned that obviously this bereavement is something that never leaves you. I think for people who are more recently bereaved, they also might want to hear a bit of hope to cling on to. As you've you know processed and had more time, have you managed to find moments of happiness in other ways as well? Can they live side by side? Bizarrely, yes. I mean, the example is that myself, Andy and Tim, when we're walking, you know, we know what we look like. You know, we're a great advertisement for middle-aged spread, really. That's why we walk, we don't run. But, you know, we, we carry our own grief, but we laugh at each other. I should say with each other, but truthfully, we laugh at each other. But those other people joining us as well, they were able to laugh too. Because I'm afraid that's life. Life is, you know, sort of, um, what is it? Tears, cheers and laughter. That's, that's what it is. But yes, you can. You'll be surprised where you find these things as well. But the way I look at it too is, you know, I have, I have a family. I've got two other daughters and they deserve a life. And they can't have a life if there's no laughter and fun in it. You know, we miss Bethy so much. You know, but they do deserve a life as well. So if I say for anyone, you know, you you really don't want to laugh and you feel guilty laughing and everything. But as time goes on, you will find times where you where you can smile. You can enjoy life a bit, you know, so there is hope. And and the fact is, you know, we'll all die one day, you know, and way I look at it now, I'd rather die doing something positive. You know, while while I'm doing something positive, you know, and laughing, and my family are okay around me, you know, that that's that's how I look at life now. That's really lovely. That's such a almost perfect note to end on. But we've got one final question that we do like to ask all of our podcast guests, and that's what's the most important lesson that you've learned about your own mental health that you'd like to pass on to our listeners? Ooh, that's a that's a hard one. We all have mental health, don't we? And in any situation, all walks of life, poor mental health doesn't discriminate. It can hit us at any time. I think a good answer to this is we, we speak to a lot of people. You know, I speak to breed parents just about every single day. And, you know, and, and sadly that's true, whether I've known them for a while or whether they're, they're new people. But some of the most powerful stories we hear as the three dads are from those who've been in crisis who struggled with their own mental health and in some cases have attempted to take their own lives, but are now living lives they want to. They want to be alive. They want to be here. And this just is one of those lessons that I wish I could tell more people. You know, as you get old, you realise that life can be a struggle sometimes. You know, that you do go up and down. That's, that's part of the ride. You know, but just to see through despair that's in front of you sometimes, and this sadly is what sometimes a lot of young people don't see, they can't see beyond that despair in front of them. But if they could just see over the top and see that, you know, things get better. I think Bethy was worried about lockdown and the impact it was going to have on her singing career, uh, her friends, her social life and everything. The truth is now, we don't really think of lockdown that much. We don't think about the the pandemic. You know, we're on the other side of it. And I don't believe for a minute either that Bethy really wanted to take her own life. 
and leave. I think it was short-term despair in her case. You know, but I'd say to people, give yourself a chance. Give your family and friends a chance to. It's mentally, 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 mentally yours. Mentally yours. Mentally yours. That was pretty special, talking to Mike, I thought. What an amazing guy. Yeah, it's incredible the work he's doing and, you know, the fact that he's taking his grief and is doing something really productive that is going to help so many people. You know, this is wider than just, you know, his local community. This is, if he, especially if he gets this change in the national curriculum, that's, I mean, that's immense. Yeah, it is. It's just like the, the most amazing legacy. I can't think of anything, of anything better. And I'm sure his family are all incredibly proud. That's it this week for Mentally Yours. If you've been affected by anything you've heard today, please call the Samaritans on 116123. You can find us on our Facebook group, Mentally Yours, and on Twitter at Mentally Yours, spelt Mentally Y-R-S. And thank you all for tuning in. Don't forget to follow and review for more podcast episodes coming your way soon. Mentally Yours is produced by Pineapple Audio Production. We'll see you soon. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 